This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Practical sermon series. You know, like most sermons, you go away thinking, that was awesome, but I don't really know what to do with that. Well, this series is probably going to be going to be the opposite. It's like, you're spoon feeding me. Stop, right? Um, but really what we are doing this series, uh, I hope, will have a pr- profound impact in our lives and help us live into the vision that we have for this year to be disciples who are following Jesus and pursuing the presence of God. Sound good? Great. Well, let me pray for us. Please, uh, please join me as I pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who has sent your Son not just to come into this world, but to be born, to be born human, to identify with us, to know what it's like to walk the face of this planet in our shoes. And God, we thank you that you have not only just gifted us a Savior, who has died in our place and for our sins, living the life that we couldn't live, dying the death that we deserve to die, but also giving us a model of what it means to live lives according to your kingdom. So God, I pray now as we come before you in your word that you would speak to us by your spirit. You'd help us see what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. God, we, pray, we long to see transformation and change in our lives. And so I pray now, Holy Spirit, please work through this word. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all of God's people said, Amen, Amen. Well, as I've mentioned, the, the name of this series is called The Way or The Way of Jesus, Lives Ordered Around the Way, the Lifestyle of Jesus. Uh, Last year you will have remembered, or the year before you will have remembered, we did a series in the Sermon on the Mount, right, called The Manifesto, all about the teaching of Jesus. Well, this series isn't so much about the teaching of Jesus, but what we're going to be doing throughout this series is examining the life of Jesus, the way that He lived and the works that He performed. Not because His words aren't important, of course they're important, but because the ways and the works and the words together are essential to our discipleship, our formation, our apprenticeship in Jesus. If you remember last week, I shared the definition that we have at Anchor of what a disciple of Jesus is. Someone who is learning to love and live like Jesus. Someone who is learning head to love heart and live hands like Jesus. It's a holistic process. So why have we decided to do this series called The Way? Well, a couple of reasons, but probably the major one is because a lot of our discipleship in the Western church has become deficient. You see, we have somehow um, stumbled our way into this belief that discipleship is about thinking our way into holiness. It's about thinking our way into acting, that as James K.A. Smith puts it, that we are sanctified through information transfer, right? That somehow we believe that the, way, the best way to form and shape someone is just to shove as much information as we can possibly get into their information center, their brain, in the hopes that that will lead to a life that just magically looks like Jesus. And yet, as, as true as 
as that may be. Truth and information is central, right? The teachings of Jesus are essential. And yet, we all know that there is this yawning gap in our lives between what we know to be true and the way that we live our lives. Uh, The things that we know to be fundamentally true about our faith, and yet when we look at our lives or examine our lives, there is just this cavernous distance between those two realities. Right? It's, it's the same thing for uh, you know, a smoker who knows that smoking is detrimental to their health. Head knowledge, but yet still smokes. This gap between our belief and our behavior. That is a problem for us that we are seeking to close. You know, the, um, the reason we've inherited this belief that we can just think our way into holiness is partly because of an inherited worldview about what formation looks like. You see, we have inherited a predominant Greek or Hellenistic worldview when it comes to change. In the first century, Greek philosophy kind of modeled itself off this idea that we think our way into new ways of acting, that we think our way into new ways of acting. It's predominantly shaped the way that we teach people. It's all classroom-based. The problem with that is when we come to discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus, Jesus was actually formed in a Hebrew way of thinking, within a Hebrew worldview. That is the world that he was immersed in. And a Hebrew worldview says that we actually act our way into new ways of thinking. That we act our way into new ways of thinking. Or if you want to put that in a more biblical category, the Apostle James says what? Faith without deeds is is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. Or James chapter 1, when we hear, the point is not just to simply hear so that we're like the person who looks at our face in the mirror and then we don't do, we walk away and forget what we look like. No, the point is to hear and what? Do. The first reason that we want to do this series is because we want to see the gap close between what we know and the way that we live our lives. We want you not just to know about Jesus, but actually experience Jesus and learn to live lives that look like His. The second reason that we want to do this series is because as we look around, we can see that our cultural moment, the the context that we live in, the, the water that we swim in is shaping us with such radical potency these days that at times it is shaping us far faster and more deeply than Jesus. And that's a problem for us because it, as that continues, we will continue to look more, look more and more like the culture around us and look less and less like the Jesus that we claim to follow. If you think about um, the way that even our devices Your phone, the way that your phone has changed your pattern of behavior, your habits and your brain in the last 10 years, that is a profound shift in the way that we live our lives today. How is that shaping and forming us? We need to form habits in the way of Jesus as a method of counterformation to the ways that our world and our culture is shaping us today. 
And the third reason that we want to do this is because we want you to experience change. I think deep down in all of us, we are longing to be different. We're longing to set aside those patterns of negative behavior and sin that rear its head in our lives. We're longing for a deeper intimacy with God. We want to see change. And our hope is that we would experience holistic change in our lives that would affect our thinking, our heads, our emotions, our hearts, and our actions, our hands. This series is about engaging in a, in a series of practices, a series of rhythms or habits. So we're going to look at things like scripture meditation and abiding in prayerful dependence and silence and solitude and what it looks like to build community together so that we don't live as isolated apprentices of Jesus. What about um, seeking justice, a generous justice? What does incarnational mission look like? What does it look like to be a people of Sabbath rest? These are practices with really, really tangible outcomes for us. Because Jesus is not just the way to life in eternity. Jesus is the way to life right now, here, today. He is not just our get into heaven ticket. Jesus is the one with whom we walk with and walk like for the rest of our lives. It's about apprenticeship to Jesus. When he said, when Jesus said, follow me, he meant it. He meant live your life like I'm living. And that's what Paul says, right, to his followers. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if you want to come with us on this journey over the next seven weeks, this is an invitation for you to begin to walk in the way of Jesus, to order your life around the life and the rhythm and the practices and the habits of Jesus. Let me start with a story. When our kids um, were first learning to swim, most of their swimming lessons happened in the pool in grandma's house, in the backyard at grandma's house. And you know what it's like as a kid learns to swim. Uh, it first begins with an exorbitant amount of flotation devices attached to their body, right? I mean, there's bubbles around their waist. There's things around their arms. You, I mean, you name it. There's like inflatable life jackets that you can zip up and put them on these days. And you throw them in the pool. And literally, if you wanted to drown them, you couldn't because they are so buoyant. And that's how they start to begin their first experience of swimming. As our kids got a little bit older and the flotation devices started to come off, the confidence in swimming began to wane. And so we decided to buy them an item that would restore that sense of confidence. And the item is called flippers. When you put flippers on your kids, all of a sudden the flotation devices are just gone. It's like, I don't need my floaties. I don't need my bubble. I just need flippers and I am away. And our kids were like, Completely transformed, doing laps of the pool, swimming without flotation devices, didn't need our help. We could finally sit by the pool and have a drink and just watch and let the kids do whatever they want because of the presence of flippers in their life. I still remember that um, after summer, the kids get enrolled back in swimming lessons. I remember the first week 
we took the kids back to swimming lessons and Judah says to me, Dad, can I take my flippers to swimming lessons? I'm like, no, mate, it's kind of like cheating. You can't, you can't take your flippers to swimming lessons. And as I was thinking about this, it kind of struck me. It's a little bit of a metaphor for what the Christian life is like. So often we attempt to do life without the Spirit, without the flippers, without, the, that, without God helping us do the thing that we actually cannot do on our own. You see, if we took all of the flotation devices and all of the flippers away, our kids would lose their confidence and sink to the bottom of the pool. And yet somehow we believe that we can do life on our own without the empowering presence of the Spirit. But the reality is, when we do it on our own strength, when we do it in the flesh, we struggle, we sink, and we flounder. And so today, as we kick off this series, I want us to think about life in the Spirit. What does it look like to walk in the way of Jesus? Well, it looks like a life that is lived in the Spirit. If the central purpose of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to learn, to love, and to live like Him, the Spirit of God is absolutely essential. There is no Christ-likeness. There is no formation into the image of Jesus minus the Holy Spirit. Let me, uh, let me explain it this way. For those of you who like equations, let me give you this equation. You see, sometimes we have this unhelpful way of thinking about change in our lives as followers of Jesus. The first equation is this. Self-effort minus the Holy Spirit equals pride. Self-effort minus the Holy Spirit equals pride. It's the kind of attitude that says, I've got this. I don't need you, God. The, the mottos that are lived like, uh, God helps those who help themselves. What, what a lie that is. But I've got this. I don't need God's help. I'm capable of doing everything that Jesus calls me to do on my own. It's pride. It's effort minus the Spirit. The second, make, the second mistake we make is this equation. The Spirit minus effort. And that simply equals spiritual laziness. The Spirit of God minus my effort equals laziness. That's the kind of motto that says, let go and let God. And it's kind of, if, if I'm honest with you, it's probably the failure of the insta generation, right? We want everything now. We want everything instantly. We want everything yesterday. And we just want God to zap us and fix us in a moment, minus any effort of our own will. That's a mistake. Neither of those are the biblical picture of change, of sanctification, of Christ-likeness. You see, the biblical picture is this. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit and His power, plus my Effort equals change, equals Christ-likeness, equals formation in the way of Jesus. Augustine has that famous quote that says this, Without God, you can't, but without you, He won't. The change that we long to see in our lives is partnership with God. Don't believe me? This is what Paul says in, one, in, in Colossians 1 verse 29. This beautiful blending of these two truths of the power of God at work and human effort. This is what Paul says. To this end, 
What end? The end of seeking maturity in the lives of the, Coloss- of the church in Colossae. He says, to this end, I strenuously contend. I work hard with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. This beautiful partnership. And formation, just like ministry, is partnership with God. It's partnership with Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is examine that principle in the life of Jesus. Right? I want to examine that principle that, that we need the Spirit of God to empower our lives. I want to examine that principle in the life of Jesus. But let me give you this little caveat. Because right now I could step off the cliff into heresy. Right? One of the things that we believe about Jesus is that He was both at the same time fully God and fully human. It's, an, it's a mystery of theology, what theologians call the hypostatic union. And we don't fully understand how it works. How can one person in their nature still be both divine and human at the same time without those two things contradicting each other? I have no idea. But what I don't want to do this morning is deny the divinity of Jesus. Jesus did not need the empowering presence of the Spirit to make him more holy, right? His life was perfect. He lived a sinless life. But Jesus did need the Spirit to empower him for mission and to walk in obedience to the thing that his Father had called him to do. If anyone knew the power and presence of the Spirit in their life, it was Jesus. Let me show you. First, let's go to Luke chapter 3. We're going to go a little bit back. If you want to do some reading on this, I'd encourage you to read all of Luke chapter 3 and 4 this afternoon and just see how Jesus lives and ministers in the Spirit. But let's go back to Luke chapter 3. The initiation of the public ministry of Jesus happens at His baptism, His anointing. This is what it says, Luke chapter 3 verse 21. When all the people were being baptized... Jesus was baptized too. Not because he needed it. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance of sins. Jesus didn't need that baptism. This was a baptism of identification. I am coming as the incarnate Son of God and I'm identifying with the sinners that I have come to save. And as he was praying, heaven was opened And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You cannot get a better endorsement of the person of Jesus than the voice of God from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. Then you get to this extended genealogy in Luke there. You know, Jesus, he's human, right? Because we can trace his, his lineage. Here his, his dad and his, great, his grandfather and his great-great-father. We can trace that Jesus was human. And then you flick over the page to Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And it says this. And just imagine, you know, he comes out of the waters of baptism. He's commissioned for ministry. He heads out, and then in Luke chapter 1, it says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Like did, wasn't he already full of the Holy Spirit? He is led. 
sorry, he left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now we know what happens in Luke chapter 4, right? There is that encounter that Jesus has with the great adversary, the devil, who comes to lie and to tempt Jesus to give him a shortcut to glory and a shortcut that required skipping over the cross. And Jesus is filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit into that moment to which we could conclude that it is by the power of the Spirit as the Word of God rolls off the lips of Jesus that He is able to resist the temptation of the evil one. Or come to Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and He returns to Galilee. Jesus returned to Galilee in what? In what? The power of the Spirit. And news about Him spread throughout the whole countryside. You see, Jesus ministered and performed miracles and healed people in the power of the Spirit. In fact, twice, Jesus will explicitly state that. Matthew chapter 12, 28, Luke 5, 17, you can look them up later. Jesus attributes His power to perform miracles to the presence of the Spirit of God in His life. All of Jesus' life and ministry was a spiritual life lived in the power and the presence of the Spirit of God. That's why Jesus identifies himself with the character from Isaiah 61. As he stands up to read the scroll in the synagogue that day from Luke chapter 4, verse 18, that passage of hope read for us, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the jubilee of the Lord, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everything that Jesus did, his identity, his calling, his commission, facing temptations, teachings, healings, his death on the cross, his resurrection to new life, was empowered by the Spirit of God was a, was a Spirit-empowered event. Now, here's my thing. If we are going to learn to live lives that love like Jesus, that look like Jesus, then we need to live lives in the power of the Spirit. If the second person of the Trinity, the incarnate Son of God, required the Spirit to empower His ministry, however that worked with the, you know, His divine and human nature, but if He required the power of the Spirit of God, how much more we in our lives? The Spirit of God is essential to our formation in the likeness of Jesus. You see, unlike Jesus, we need to grow in holiness. We have this battle that occurs within us, the wrestle between the flesh and the Spirit. And we need the Spirit to help us put to death the flesh, Romans chapter 8, and to clothe ourselves with our new self and to walk in the freedom that the Spirit gives. We live in the constant tension of throwing off the old and putting on the new. And the theological term for that is progressive sanctification. It's a big word for Sunday, I realize. 
progressive sanctification. Come on, someone say it. Progressive sanctification. That's it. It's our process of being formed more and more into the image of Jesus. And part of the Spirit's ministry in our life is to do that. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 18. This is what Paul says. Now, in the back of this verse is like the, um, that, that scene from Exodus where Moses goes up to the mountain, meets face to face with God, comes down. His face is shining. It's like reflecting the Shekinah glory of God. And so Israel freaks out so much that he covers and veils his face. Right? That's in the backdrop to this, these verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul's point there is, the work of the Spirit in your life is to bring change. right? And that word, transformation, that he uses there in the original language, it's metamorpheu, and it's where we get our English word metamorphosis, transformation, change. Part of the Spirit's presence in your life is to change you from one degree of glory to the next. Now, I don't know if you, when, when you think about that phrase, one degree of glory to the next, I imagine stepping up a ladder, a linear process of just continual progression and perhaps what Paul has in mind here isn't just this like linear trajectory but he does have this idea of progress that the Spirit's work in our lives will change us to be more and more like Jesus. Here's the thing, the Spirit-filled believer should expect progress in their life. We ought to expect that part of what God is doing by His Spirit is forming us, shaping us, and changing us. Now, we, you notice that very important there, Paul says, we are being transformed. We are being transformed. This is a present continuous. It continues to happen. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a way, not just a moment. Now, um, I mean, if only it were a moment. Hey, if, if only we could g- just deal with all of our problems in a moment. How easy would that be? We are the instant generation, the microwave generation, the people who just want everything right now. You know, we start a, a diet. We're on the diet for like 10 days and we give up because we're like, I didn't see any change at all. What's the point? Or we start an exercise program and after three weeks, you look at yourself in the mirror and you think, I look nothing like Kayla, it seems. I quit. (laughs) After three weeks. If only it were a moment. John Mark Comer um, really helpfully talks about the difference between process change and breakthrough change. The difference between process change and breakthrough change. Breakthrough change is like one of those moments where God steps into your life and, 
and brings transformation radically in a moment. Think of like your conversion, right? Think of Paul on the road to Damascus. Like the spirit breaks in and there is instantaneous radical change in our lives. Think of the stories of the addict who, without any form of external help, just simply God brought radical change in their life. And that happens occasionally. And perhaps it doesn't happen as frequently as we like for, I don't know, countless reasons. But the change that we can and should expect more frequently is process change. It's the change that happens slowly in our lives. You think, why does God do it that way? Wouldn't it be so much easier for Him to just fix me quickly? But perhaps the transformation is a part, sorry, perhaps the journey is a part of the transformation. Perhaps the slow progress of wrestling with change in our lives is bringing the type of fruit that God wants to see. So yes, there's breakthrough change. It happens. We pray it happens more. Often breakthrough change happens, John Mark Comer says, in moments of healing and freedom. And process change happens with our character and our formation and our habits and all of those ingrained things that God has just seemed to wire us the way that we are. In Galatians chapter 5, at the end there, um, Paul starts to talk about this difference, this contrast between uh, the way of the flesh and the way of the spirit. He does the same thing in uh, other parts of the Bible, like, um, like Romans chapter 8. This contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And he says that the fruit of the spirit in our lives is what? Holiness, godliness. Right? You, you know it. It's the, it's the Sunday school Bible verse. The fruit of the Spirit is patience, goodness, gentleness, love, self-control. That the result of the Spirit of God in our lives is that we are changed to be more like Jesus. At the end of Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, it says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul will say in, um, in Titus chapter 3 that we have been saved by the regeneration and renewal of the Spirit. That God took dead souls and breathed life into them. We were blind, but we can see. We have been saved by the regeneration and washing of the Holy Spirit. God has given us a new nature. Paul says that we now walk by the Spirit and we put to death the ways of the flesh. The entire Christian life is about learning to walk in step with the Spirit. That's what it says there. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let our walk, our way, our gait be in sync be patterned after, be animated by the Spirit of God. So here's my point this morning. There is simply, there is no change 
There is no transformation. There is no progress in the Christian life without the Spirit of God. And your effort, of course. Let's not forget the equation at the start of the message. But where we diminish the role of the Holy Spirit, we will experience a stunted walk with Jesus. This is life in the Spirit. So how do we live that? Like, How do we practically do that? And if I'm honest with you, this is probably like the least tangible of all the messages that you will get in this series. But the answer is you practice all of the other habits that we will tell you about in the next six or seven weeks. Part of the answer is that we will meditate on Scripture, that we will abide in prayer, that we will walk in attentive obedience to God, that we will immerse ourselves in community, that we will pursue incarnational mission, that we will be generous in the way that we seek to care for the poor and the downtrodden, that we will practice rest in a relentlessly busy world. All of, that, all of those practices are about building the infrastructure and the, the scaffolding of space in our lives to encounter Jesus, for the Spirit of God to work. I don't know if you realize this, but the Spirit uses means to achieve His purposes. And those means are the disciplines. Right? Sure, he, He'll use other means, the Spirit will use the means of what's happening right here. Corporate worship is a means that the Spirit is going to use to stir our affection for God. The Spirit will use suffering in your life to produce character and develop hope. The Spirit will use the Lord's Supper and other people, all of these ways. But part of the means that the Spirit uses to forge Christ-likeness in our lives is Habits, practices, space for us to encounter God. Adele Calhoun, a spiritual formation guru, says this. She says, We keep company with Jesus by making space for Him through spiritual disciplines. Our part is to offer ourselves lovingly and obediently to God. And God then works within us doing what? He alone can do. It's about creating space and margin and rhythms in our lives to meet with God. I think it's um, Dallas Willard or someone, I forget, I forget who said it, but they call this the transformative friendship. A disciple is someone who is with Jesus. We're with him. We like hanging out with Jesus. We want to spend time with Jesus. You know, um, we become like the people that we surround ourselves with. Right? That's true. All of the research into habit formation says that if you work in a corporate environment where all of your colleagues are gym junkies, your chances of becoming a gym junkie is radically increased because we become like the people we surround ourselves with. The more time you spend with people, the more time you become like them. It's why after you know, 25 years of marriage, you just sound exactly like your spouse. You finish each other's sentences. You sound the same. You talk the same. You think the same. I still remember my, my very first job after high school. 
um, I worked doing sports administration for a rugby union body, right? We, we ran all of the local suburban rugby union that happened across Sydney. And I was like, I was the admin person that sat at the front desk and answered the phone calls and polished the trophies and did all that kind of stuff. But there was a guy um, in the office, his name was Kim. He was a big guy, rugby union player, think prop forward, moved from Queensland and had a larger than life personality. And every time I would, he, he kind of like sat in a, like a cubicle opposite me. And every time I called out to him for something, I'd say, hey, Kim. And he would reply back in this really deep voice. Yes. Uh, literally 15 years later, I still find myself saying yes like that. He's be like, hey, dad. Yes. But why? Because I spent all of this time sitting opposite another person who shaped me. Can I pick on James Dawson for a second? Is that all right? James, for those of you who name, know James Dawson, our church planter who we recently sent out to go and plant northern, anchor northern beaches, he has this like very sarcastic laugh that he does, that if you say something that he doesn't think is funny, he just goes, ha, 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 ha. It's like a real pretend fake laugh but it's really catchy. I find myself doing it all the time. After working with Dawson for like the last four years, if someone will say something to me, I'm like, don't laugh like Dawson. <laughs> just, just be genuine. Just laugh. Just, you know, it's funny. Don't do the sarcastic half non-laugh thing that James Dawson does. Why? Because I spent so much of my time sitting in an office, or maybe not the last two years, on Zoom chats with James Dawson. His laugh becomes infectious and I start copying him. We become like the people that we surround ourselves with. If we want to become more like Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to pursue Him. We need to hang out with Him. We need to allow Jesus to shape us and change us. We need to, we need to spend time in His presence, in prayer, the, um, the great scholar and theologian A.W. Tozer says this. He says, The spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. The spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. I want to say it twice because some of you believe that there are super-Christians like Hope Miles and ordinary people like me. The spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity, it is part and parcel of the total plan of God for His people. God's intent and purpose for your life is that you would live a life animated and empowered by the Spirit so that He would shape you and form you in the way of Jesus. There is no other way. That's the way. God gives His Spirit to change us, to make us more like Jesus. And our hope and prayer as we do this series, Lives Ordered Around the Way of Jesus, that it wouldn't just be a list of things that we do to prove to God, I'm worthy, you can love me, but know that these would be things that we would do to build the infrastructure and scaffolding in our lives for us to encounter God and His grace and the power of the Spirit. That's our prayer. Let me pray for us now as we move to worship together.
Father, we thank you that you're a good God. Father, we thank you that you are committed by your spirit to our personal transformation and change. We know that we cannot do this on our own. Forgive us for the times that we think that we can. So God, we wanna open our lives up to you. We wanna build rhythms and habits and practices in our life where we would encounter your grace, encounter your presence, encounter the face of Jesus. Help us to be people who would walk in step with the Spirit every day. Change us, transform us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all of God's people said, all of God's people said, amen, amen.